Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the CAF to favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they're up to outside of the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Washita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the podcast, we'll hear from Melinda Mayo from the class of 1987. Melinda is an award-winning journalist and currently serves as co-host of Daybreak and Good Morning Arkansas on KTV Channel 7. Melinda shares about broadcasting from home during the pandemic with her sidekick, weather dog, Ozzy, her favorite Washita memories, and about her recent trip to the Holy Land. Melinda Mayo, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. And uh, congratulations on the podcast. This is cool. Thanks. Yeah. You know, we we love having events and parties uh, for alums, and we can't do that right now. So we've had to pivot and tell the stories of Washingtonians that you would be meeting out at our fun events online. So it's actually been something we've talked about for a while and it hasn't, uh, you know, haven't had the time to do it, but quarantine time, we have time to, to roll out some things. Yeah. We have time for a lot of things we didn't have time for before, but I think it's a great idea and I really appreciate you inviting me to be on. You've kind of just started this, right? Yeah. We've only had a few episodes so far and you know, my, my goal was to launch it before our students all, you know, graduated and that sort of thing to get something rolling in the semester where we've had so much change. Uh, but now we're, you know, rolling into summer. And, you know, I asked my wife, you know, how many do you think I should do? Should I do one a month or one every two weeks? And she said, what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, she wants you out of her hair. That's the thing. Yeah. So, you know, we're, our, we're shooting for one a week at this point and we've had time to do it. So it's been super fun. Good deal. Yeah. How are things at the, the station, which is now in your house? Yes, it has been an experience and an adjustment uh, like everybody else. Uh, we stayed in the studio with just one anchor per show for about a week after a lot of people had started working from home. Um, the weather center is about 10 feet from where the news anchors are. So we were still social distancing for a while. Uh, but after about a week of that, our company said, hey, anybody who can do this from home, let's try to do that. And so we figured out a way to do it. And, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know that we could have done what we're doing now with, you know, the technology we had then versus now. I mean, a cell phone and I'm live on Channel 7. It's amazing. Um, The stressful part for me was setting up all the IT because I'm not the biggest techno, you know, person out there. So they kind of gave me a box of computer gear and said, here, go set it up and call us if you need to, you know. So I called them. <laughs> they were like, you know, you plug this into the router, you plug this into a uh, uh, an outlet. So we got it all figured out. And uh, it was a little stressful the first few weeks. And, but I think we've got it figured out now. The funny thing, I did not have one of these fancy ring lights with the stand that a lot of people have. Uh, at the time, I went on Amazon and I tried to order one. And they're like, yeah, good luck. You'll get that in. <laughs> December of 2021, right? So my husband said, he goes, I can figure this out. So he finds a stepladder, just an old painter's stepladder, and he duct tapes the camera, the cell phone, to the stepladder. And that was my tripod for about the first week. Then they called a few days later and said, we'd like you to lift it up a little bit so that you're looking more into, you're not looking down, you're looking up a little bit. And I'm like, well, it's a stepladder. Husband said, I know we got four cereal bowls and put each leg of the stepladder and voila, it worked. 
Now, since then, a friend has given me her ring light stand. So I'm, I'm a little better. I got rid of the stepladder cereal bowl setup. So we're doing better now. That's fun. Yeah. Emily went on to buy uh, one of her coworkers a, a webcam because his computer didn't have a webcam. And it was the same thing. Amazon was like, yeah, good luck. No, none mm-hmm. of those around. <laughs> yeah. I'm very thankful. It was one of our other anchors who she had the forethought to order one of these. But she said, Melinda, it was two o'clock in the morning and I think I hit it three times. So she had three and she said, I'll give you one because she saw me. Uh, on social media with my stepladder tripod and she had pity on me. So I was thankful. That's perfect. Now I see a sidekick in a lot of your pictures. You have a little uh, furry friend that joins you every day. Tell us about that. Ozzy, the weather dog, uh, basically is what he's been named. And I don't go anywhere now, you know, going to pick up dinner that somebody doesn't say something about him. But uh, yeah, Mark and I, uh, we have a son, my stepson, who's 31. He lives in Conway. So we don't have a lot of little ones running around. So we have a dog who is our child. (laughs) And I didn't really think about when I set my camera up, Uh, in the living room, basically, because I had to be close to the router, and that was my router, that I was right in front of the love seat where he likes to lay when he's tired and wants to take a nap. And the first day when I came down to do my show, I thought, oh, he doesn't need to be around. So I shut the door and left him in the bedroom. Well, he barked the entire two and a half hours, the first show. You couldn't hear it, I don't think, on Channel 7, but my husband came down the stairs like at 7 going, oh, no, we can't do this. And I said, okay, tomorrow I'll just let him out and see what he does. So he came down with me the second morning, and he laid there, and that is his spot for TV. So there he is. He is so cute. Thank you. He's 11 years old, so he, he has a puppy look to him, but he's actually 11 and has started to slow down a little bit. So he, he sleeps more than he used to. A lot of people say, how are you getting to be so still there? You know? And I say, well, he, he's still a lot now, you know, he likes to sleep and especially that early. So, um, yeah, I I think I'll have to get him a new contract perhaps with channel seven when we go back. Yeah. He may have to come to work with you. Yeah. I don't think people are what are really listening to me anymore. They're just watching to see, is he asleep? Is he awake? Is he yawning? What's he doing? I love it. How does your team function there? I know there's multiple meteorologists that work at the station. How do you work together, especially in this time of quarantine? Yeah, a lot, a lot of texting back and forth as we, as we make plans. We stick to our basic schedule that we have anyway, where, where I start the morning. Uh, Todd takes over usually at uh, midday, our noon show, through the five. And then Barry uh, is our chief, so he does our six and ten o'clock. And then James is on the weekends, but he's also interspersed uh, during our other shows. So, so we've stayed on that pretty well. We text, you know, a lot to be sure everybody uh, is on board with what we're doing. But you know, when this started, we said, "Hey, you know, this is severe weather season. I mean, this is a time when we got to be on. We got to be ready. People are depending on us." Um, So one of the thing commitments we made was when it's severe, when there's a chance that we may have to break into programming, let's be in the weather center. Let's have at least one of us in the weather center uh, there to do that so that 
people are comfortable looking in and saying, okay, they're there, you know, they're there watching everything. So we've done that. And that takes some scheduling because, uh, you know, even a few days out, we're like, okay, who's going to go in? What time do we need to be there? Um, but we've stayed, you know, on top of a lot of things. We've had a lot of severe weather while this has been going on. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that season. So I wondered, I'd, I hadn't seen anyone do the severe weather from home. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They've gone in and even in the studio, there's been a few times where we've had two of them, uh, maybe Barry and James, Barry and Todd. And even there, we've got different places in the studio uh, where we can be. One can be in front of the green chroma key wall while one's in the weather center. So even then we can stay socially distant while we're, while we're covering it. Um, you know, and severe weather's gotten to be such a big deal now. I mean, it, it's definitely the most important thing we do. And these days with social media and pictures coming in and so much, it really takes two to do it all and to do it well. Uh, so, you know, if anything else happens, you'll see us there. What we're interested in, a lot of people are saying, okay, is this going to change how we do things in the future? Or, are more people going to work from home now? So I'm thinking on those snow days when everybody else gets to stay home and we don't get to because we have to go in, maybe we could do the snow coverage from home, right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice for sure. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. I don't know if our company will let us, but I think that would be interesting if we could stay home on a snow day too and you know, show what we're doing. Yeah, we're getting creative here. Our summer schedule at Washtenaw, we're going to be in the office three days and at home one day. And then Fridays, we don't have any work responsibilities just to save energy and try to conserve some dollars here in this time. So everybody's getting creative, I think. I think so. And, you know, I think when we go back, will it will it look different than it did before? You know, and, and do some people say, hey, you know, I was working fine from home. Let's keep doing it that way. And I think a lot of people probably will. Yeah, you know, I live a block from campus in a hundred year old home and it's beautiful. But mm-hmm. right now I'm in Comb Bottoms in my office, which I love. I have a, a corner office in Comb Bottoms looking out over the lawn. And so, you know, we did a survey for the president, you know, how I was working from home. And I said, I, I love working from home, but I miss my office because Washtenaw is such a beautiful spot. Yeah, it is beautiful for sure. I, I love going back and, you know, it, it looks different every time I go back. There's a new building up or something, but yeah, I think a lot of people are are, are really enjoying working from home. Uh, a lot of parents want kids to go back to school, <laughs> I know. Uh, but then I've, I've read where some parents are thinking, you know, I'm pretty good at this homeschooling thing. Maybe we'll stay in, with homeschooling, you know. So I think everybody just has to make that decision when uh, when life goes back to whatever normal is going to be. Right, for sure. Um, in your in your role there, is it stressful trying to always get the forecast right and predict this weather in Arkansas? It seems like it's, you know, severe weather does seem to be more prevalent and, you know, yeah. Arkansas, you never know what's going to come. Is it is it something that's stressful to you to try to, to nail it? it? It is stressful at times. It's It keeps it interesting, I think, to do weather here in Arkansas because you're right, we have so many different kinds of weather. And I mean, just look at what, you know, May has been cool and rainy a lot. Um, Now it's going to go back to, you know, warm and humid again. And so it's always changing and we get severe weather and we get, you know, some snow, although the last couple of years haven't been great. We love to say, uh, it is not a perfect science <laughs> for sure, because we know uh, that we're going to get it wrong sometimes. And I think really the thing to do is just own it when we do, when the models were just way off. 
uh, and we didn't get it right. But, you know, the more I started to study weather and saw how complex every little thing can be that makes up a forecast, um, I was so surprised at how right we get it, you know, at how accurate and amazing the computers are now and how uh, amazing the new technology and radar is now that we can basically show you the street, you know, that there's rotation on. It's it's amazing. So I hear all the jokes, you know, it, it's the only job where you can be wrong 90% of the time and still keep your job. <laughs> and I laugh about that. Ha, 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 you're right. Uh, but, you know, we I think we probably get it right 90% of the time and then uh, wrong maybe the other. But what has made it interesting lately are all the weather apps. I mean, think of all the places where you go to get your weather now on every device, the weather channel, you know, all of your apps. So there's so many different sources and usually all of them are a little bit different. So I find people are not sure if what my forecast was versus what their phones told them, right? So they might say, you know, well, you said it was going to rain Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I'm like, "Mm, where did you get that? And then sometimes they can't even remember. Well, I saw it somewhere. Um, So we've had to really kind of explain to people how those apps work, that they're really just computer driven. Whatever the computer says it's going to do that day, it sends it out. Uh, You may see an icon that shows a rain and a thunderstorm. But did you notice that it said 20% outside it? You know, so I get a lot of that now. But, um, but you know, it's wonderful to have the apps. We have our own, too, uh, that we do. But we still say, you know, tune in when it's something you really need to know. What time is it going to rain? What part of the state is it going to rain? Because that's what we do. We do the specifics of weather still. Yeah, I think one thing that's been interesting is, you know, there may be somebody in the weather center, but we can search hashtag ARWX and I can see what you're saying about it and the people in the studio and everybody at one time kind of, you know, as it's happening. And that's been really fun. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great resource to go to that hashtag. I try to remember it to, to add it to most of my tweets. Sometimes I forget, but yeah, you see all the meteorologists, what they're posting, what the National Weather Service is posting. And, and that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, you've been broadcasting for a while, you know, I don't know if back in the day before social media, people called you and told you, you know, they were upset that you you know, missed it or it wasn't exactly what they thought. Um, what's it like in the age of social media? I feel like everyone has an opinion and wants you to hear it. So what's that been? It's just like everything else, you know, uh, social media has its good and it's bad. And that's perhaps uh, one of them. I mean, I think I, I think yesterday I posted just hour by hour for the day, just going, you know, uh, 10 o'clock, noon, two, four, here's what you can expect. And somebody on Twitter immediately came up there and said, you know, those future casts don't tell you a single thing or something like that, you know, just totally trolling, I guess. And I thought, if I can't tell you what it's going to do for five hours from now, you know, I shouldn't have this job at all. Um, so I don't think he even looked to see, I was only telling you the rest of the day. I wasn't talking about next week or anything. Uh, but I think you just, you know, you decide if you need to respond to those or don't. And most of the times we don't, <laughs> but if we do, I think you just kind of do it with kindness. And, uh, like I said, if you do, you know, screw up every once in a while, own it and just say, Hey, you know, we'll try to do better next time. Yeah, I think people expect you to know the cloud that's right over their house when the water's coming out. 
you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. You said, you know, 30% and it's raining. It's been raining all day. Well, you were the 30%, <laughs> you know, you're right. And, and in Arkansas, because of the mountains, the plains, the different areas, it can be such different weather in different parts of the state. So we really have to remember that too. Uh, you know, when we're doing our forecast, because it can be so different north to south, west to east in Arkansas. True. I know you've um, been in broadcasting for a while in different roles. Um, what have you enjoyed most about your role in weather? I would say in weather, it's that it does change every day. You know, that is uh, just exciting. I went to uh, Mississippi State to get my uh, meteorology certification uh, after I had done my my news degree and talked to meteorologists there who were from San Diego or somewhere else. And he said, you know, every day I say it's going to be nice, sunny and 75 and it never changes. And that's my job. And I thought, wow, you know, it's so great to live in a state that where it is a challenge, where, you know, it's going to change, where we get all kinds of weather, where we get, you know, hurricanes on the Gulf Coast sometimes affect us with, you know, big time rain or wind. So, I mean, we absolutely get it all. So I think that is something I really enjoy. And then I would say sort of the other side of my role is just co-hosting uh, the shows, uh, especially the nine to 10 o'clock show, which is uh, Good Morning Arkansas that we do in the River Market. And I get to interview people and I could be doing anything there from, you know, a doctor segment to uh, showing you how to do a new hairdo or a craft or, you know, all kinds of things. So I meet somebody new every single day uh, in that role. And I really enjoy that too. And of course, going out to festivals and things that uh, we used to do and hopefully we'll do again uh, was such a joy. And, and that's fun to go out and really meet all of our viewers. That's fun. Yeah. Have you broadcasted in other areas or have you stayed in Arkansas, which is home for you? Yeah. As far as my job. Uh, yeah. I've been right here in Arkansas, Arkansas girl from Pine Bluff. And um, I could have, you know, most young um, broadcasters will start at a smaller market, uh, say here in Arkansas, they may, might start at Fort Smith, Fayetteville, El Dorado. And then after a couple of years, they're moved to a market the size of Little Rock. Well, I just didn't have the opportunity to do that. I had family right here. So I wanted to stay in Little Rock. So I really kind of took an alternative route where I started behind the scenes at uh, Channel 4 at the time, carrying big cameras. I tell these stories to, you know, broadcast students now and they just can't believe it. Plus the gear back then was huge. Um, and my first job was as an overnight photographer for Channel 4. Uh, so I worked the overnight shift and basically any breaking news was crime. So, you know, that's where I was headed to crime scenes. So that was my first job. It just kind of worked my way up. But yeah, I've always been here. I worked at Channel 4 for eight years and then uh, decided I really wanted to focus on weather uh, after that. So I transitioned to Channel 7. Had to do the one year off the air there because of non-compete uh, within the market. Uh, so after a year there, I came back and when I did, I had my meteorology degree. I almost had it completed. So I started doing weather. So yeah, I've been here the whole time. I mean, I know a lot of people who have gone off to big cities and had a wonderful uh, time and career, but a lot of times they end up coming back, you know, uh, Arkansas calls them back. And uh, for me, it's just always been home and it's where I wanted to stay. 
Yeah, it's great. You've never had to worry about mispronouncing a town name in Arkansas if you grew up here. That's exactly right. Yeah. I never said Searcy or any of those. And I always knew how to say Arkadelphia and Washita. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How'd you get interested in journalism from the start? You know, when did you start really getting interested in that career field? Yeah, I think even as a kid and a teenager, I just always loved telling stories and writing. Um, and uh, that was just always something I enjoyed. And, you know, back when I grew up and maybe you too, John, you know, if it was five or six o'clock, the news was on. It was on your TV, you know. So I grew up watching it. Uh, of course, I think at some point I was just waiting for 630 because that's when the Brady Bunch came on. So I was waiting for the news to get over with. Uh, but uh, I think I just really loved that they were there telling stories to me. And I didn't really think about weather at the time because, well, number one, you didn't see any women doing weather back then. So it wasn't anything that that I thought about. But I really like the idea of going out and gathering the news and getting stories and bringing them back. And, and I thought that's what I may want to do that if there was ever any like a play at church or at school. I always played the reporter. Always did. Always practiced it. <laughs> but even going to Washita, I wasn't sure, positive if that's what I wanted to do. So I sort of, um, you know, dabbled in a lot of things. I liked science. I liked math. I was okay at it. The English and the writing was what came easy for me. You know, it just seemed like it was what I meant to do. So so I took chemistry. Do I want to go pre-med? I took uh, the first few computer classes that were ever at Washita. This was, you know, in the mid 80s. And I think we learned basic computer language was what it was called, that very first class. So I did that for the freshman year. And I think that's what most students should do, you know, and, and Washita is great about that, that you can take so many things. But the communication, the writing, the journalism department just kept calling me that way. You know, I just said, what, what do you really enjoy doing? I didn't enjoy chemistry lab at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I, something in me just said, look, this is your lane. This is what you're good at. And I talked to professors there and uh, I said, you know, this is, this is what God meant for me to do because uh, he gave me the skills and the love of it. So let's do it. So by my second year, I was a communications major there at Washita. I love it. Yeah. I, Emily and I both started as music majors and then, you know, found MassCom as a place where we could plug in and, and just loved that. But yeah, I think the storytelling is so important and you connect with so many people. I think we all watch the news and we just can't wait for you to say Arkadelphia, you know, <laughs> a connection with what's, with what's going on. I can remember as a kid, I grew up in Missouri watching KY3 and when they would say El Dorado Springs, my hometown, I'd be like, we're big time, like we're famous, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. And I get people all the time who say, why don't you ever mention this town or that town? So we certainly try to. Um, we mention the bigger cities more because there are reporting stations that give us the temperature and everything we need to, you know, to look at from those cities. But I love to mention um, you know, the small ones too. The other, the other day, I think there was a storm over D-Light <laughs> and I said it just like that, D-Light. And of course I know right where that is uh, from uh, nearby Arkadelphia. That's awesome. Yeah. How, how did Washtop prepare you for your career? I think just the well-rounded education you get there at Washita prepared me. Um, like I said, I, I did some of the science classes and you know, when I figured out that weather was the way I wanted to go, I was like, okay, this is a way I could combine my love of science 
with storytelling because that's sort of what weather is. But I think the fact that at Washita, you take a lot of different classes and you may sit there and go, why do I have to take this? Why do I have to take art appreciation and Western Civ and all these other things, you know, that are required? But it gives you such a well-rounded knowledge, I think, when when you leave there. And in my role, especially when I was saying, you know, all of the other interviews that I do, uh, sometimes I have to be an expert in like two minutes on one subject. You have to be an expert in a lot of different things. So I say I know a little bit about a lot of things. And in that two-minute commercial break, I have to quickly prepare to sit down with this art author or this lawyer or this doctor and at least be able to ask an intelligent question. <laughs> so I think Washtenaw really prepared me for that by teaching me a lot of different things and not just one, you know, small slice of education. Yeah. Was there a certain professor at Washtenaw that really, um, you know, made an impact on you in your studies in journalism? For sure. Dr. Bill Downs who I know I'm sure you loved him as well. Um, And we lost him last year. But um, Dr. Downs was definitely my mentor. Um, He led the mass communication department for like 40 years, I think, right? Um, But actually, I wasn't just a student. I had a work-study job there, and I was his personal secretary for two years. It was kind of came out of the blue, but I had applied for work study because I needed a little more money to pay. And I was put in the print shop over there, uh, which was in the same annex as Dr. Downs and Max Sisson and all those guys, um, because I guess they saw I was in communication. So let's put her in the print shop. I was like, fine, you know, I need a job. And the second day I got called into Max Sisson's office and he said, we think we want you to be Dr. Bill Downs's personal secretary. And I'm like, who's Dr. Downs? I don't know. I just showed up over here at the communications department. Well, I quickly found out that he was the man um, and just such a good professor and teacher. But I worked in his front office. You had to get through me (laughs) to get to Dr. Downs. I felt like the Wizard of Oz, you know, he was back there behind the curtain. And, you know, only I could go behind the curtain. And a lot of students were afraid of him because, He was tough. He was lovable, but he was tough. But I could go in there and talk to him just, you know, like a friend. And we stayed friends uh, for many years. He actually wrote a couple books and he came on my show uh, for me to interview him about his books. And I was so nervous to be interviewing Dr. Downs, you know, the guy who had graded my papers with a big red pen, you know. Uh, But he was just so lovely. And I actually got to visit him. as his health was failing a few times uh, at the nursing home. And we lost him last year. And I saw a lot of Washtenaw people at his funeral. So I'll always, always remember and love him. Yeah, he and Vera were just so sweet and, you know, always encouraging to us. The red pen was something to be feared for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. It would always come back with lots of marks, uh, no matter how well you thought you had written it. So yeah, yeah. Trust no one, assume nothing, ask any journalism student. Um, he taught you that to check and double check your sources. So I've always remembered that. And of course he would say, if your mother tells you she loves you, find another source. <laughs> we'll check that as well. So uh, he was just a joy of a professor really. And helped me through some tough times too, when I'd made some mistakes and such, uh, he was there for me and, Uh, So he'll always be my favorite. I love that. 
What do you enjoy most about your time as a student at Washita? Oh, gosh, that's tough. I mean, everything, right? But, you know, I loved the smallness of the campus that you got to know everybody. I mean, you did. I came from Pine Bluff High School, which at the time was a really large school. I think we had close to 2,000 students. So, you know, I went from a high school campus that was about the same size as my college campus, but I love the one-on-one instruction, getting to know uh, my professors, uh, so many friendships, of course, still to this day, dear friends. And you know what, looking back, I think about, you know, I think you've talked about the bubble of Washita, and, and it is one, you know, to some degree. But I think when you come out of high school, where there were, uh, I think at every you know, high school teenage uh, scene, there's a lot of cliques. There are those that are really popular, those that are not. There's this group, there's that group, there's the the ones who came from, you know, perhaps a lot of money and those that didn't. And I and I thought, you know, at Washita there was none of that. Everybody was equal. Everybody um, was uh, friendly with each other. There wasn't any of that. And You know, I think, you know, I know we had students whose last names were on buildings there because of what their family had given. And there were students who were the kids of missionaries and everybody was the same. And you really didn't know who was who because everybody was the same. Everybody was there to get an education, to love the Lord. And thinking back, I think I don't remember ever being in a situation where it was like that, you know. You didn't know who had a fancy car because we didn't drive our cars, <laughs> you know, and just getting to know people from all walks of life was so special. Definitely. Now, we, we have a little segment on the podcast called Fast Fave Fives where we ask you five questions about Washington and just kind of fire off your thoughts. So uh, okay. first one today is your favorite food at Waltz. Was the cafeteria Waltz when you were there? It was Waltz. <laughs> well, yeah, we need to do time checks on some of this, right? Because <laughs> I listened to uh, when you interviewed Candace Chewbacca mom, and I'm like, okay, she was like 10 years after me. So uh, what was still around back then? It was Waltz. Walt was there. I mean, Walt was there. You walked in usually to get your, uh, to show your ID. And uh, he was usually standing right there when you came in. Um, the two big memories I have were the salad bar just the huge salad bar right down the middle. And I think I made a salad every single meal <laughs> at Waltz every single semester because it was just like, oh, it's fresh and it's uh, kind of healthy if I don't too, put too much stuff and it's just, you can get all you want. And then I'd have to say, was it Friday or Saturday night that we got steak or fried shrimp? Yeah, the steak or shrimp night. I think it was Saturday. I think it was. I think it was. And a lot of people had gone home, so it wasn't as busy and crowded. Uh, so that was so fancy, you know, that we got steak or fried shrimp. So I'd say those two things, the big salad bar and the the steak or shrimp night. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad, you know, even when I was a student, graduated in 2000, that Walt was there and wearing the Twinkie costume and just so much fun. Right. Is it still called Walt? No, you know, we've built a new cafeteria. It's called the Washtenaw Commons, but the students call it the CAF. Okay. You know, they've shortened everything. The student center, Evan student center, they call the stew. <laughs> the stew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meet you at the stew. All right. Yeah. One of my favorite places is the Rachel Fuller and Washtenaw Singers Memorial Amphitheater, and they call it the AMP. <laughs> AMP. All right. Yeah. Is the big O still there? I remember that. It was a circle benched area. 
you know, it's not. And I wonder where the O is, you know, because that was such a, a hangout spot there. It was, it was. And I remember all the pranks, of course, that happened. But every once in a while, there was like a car that had been somehow put in the middle of the O. And it was usually something smaller, like a Volkswagen or something. But And I always wondered, whose car is that? And how in the world did those guys get it there, right? Right. Or I, I think I heard a lot of stories of small cars being on that bridge, you know, over the ravine. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. I know. You know, when they took down that old bridge to put up the new one, I mean, they I heard stories that they just pushed the bolts, they'd fall right through. I mean, it could have come down. Oh, my goodness. You know, I loved that bridge over the ravine. It was just such a kind of a respite place to walk when you were stressed or so busy just to walk out across that. Uh, but I've wondered, too, how, how structurally sound it was. But, you know, when you're 18, 19, you don't worry about things like that, do you? No. And the new bridge is so beautiful and wide and there's benches for people to sit out there. It's really nice. Oh, good, good. Yeah, it kind of seemed like you were taking your life in your hands going across it back then. But I really like to come back, you know, during the daytime and spend some time. I've been there for Tiger Tunes and some different events. And uh, I just need to walk around the new campus because it's it's just even more beautiful now. Yeah, you know, facilities folks are working, you know, every day and it's it's absolutely beautiful. And it's really, you know, it's really difficult to not see students enjoying it because it's just beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I think I turned your fast five into a not-so-fast five. That's okay. Sorry. Uh, what's your favorite spot on campus? Oh, let's see. Well, I, I did love the, the Ravine Bridge. I loved, um, what was the, uh, okay, it's called the Stu now, the Student Center. The top level of the Student Center, uh, which was always just kind of quiet, and it was a great place to go study. There were different chairs sitting around. Um, the library, I don't know, I just would I seem like I just wanted to fall asleep if I went to the library to study, and I may have done that a time or two, but I loved that top level of the Evans, uh, Evans Student Center, uh, and then it had beautiful views. You could see the ravine in the back, and it just uh, seemed kind of like a quiet, peaceful spot. I think there were like individual rooms you could go if you had like a group to meet with, uh, to study with. But, but I think that was one of my favorite places to kind of get away and maybe have a little quiet time. Yeah. I think it's underutilized, you know, some, it's called the bridge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, I need an event space, but I don't want to use Walker. It's too big. And the alumni room is too small. And so I'll, you know, move tables up there because the view is just beautiful. You know, it is. Yeah. The bridge. That was it. Thank you for reminding me. There you go. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite Tiger Tune show? I know you've seen a few Tune shows in your time. What's been your favorite show? I have. I would have to say um, my second year there at Washita, 1984 to 85, I guess that was. And I was song leader for the E's. And really, your main responsibility as song leader is to figure out Tiger Tunes and to really kind of uh, direct that. So it was my year and my idea. We, we still vote on, you know, the theme and the idea. So my idea was uh, eggs. We're ease. We need to be eggs. And I had seen a production, I think, at my high school after I had graduated where they were just these big eggs. And I thought that is hilarious. It kind of goes with our name. My goodness, the ways you could take eggs, right? All the different things you could do. So we did that. And the hardest part of it, though, was when we decided we were going to go with eggs 
oh my gosh, we got to make 45 egg costumes, <laughs> which were pretty elaborate with foam. And then we had to cover the foam and then we had chicken feet and chicken hands. And so we really had to figure out how to do an assembly line of making these eggs. So we did that and it was so much fun. And we won that year. We, we took home the grand prize. So that's one of, one of my favorite memories uh, from Washita and definitely my favorite Tiger Tanks. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, kids have it easy these days. They can order almost anything on Amazon costumes. And, you know, so whenever somebody pulls out a foam or a handcrafted costume, they're automatically, you know, <laughs> in my book. They, they win the costume, win the costume. Um, now I know you were in the Washitones, the you know famous Washitones group with Mary Shambarger. Is there a favorite song you would sing in that group? Oh, let's see. We did so many from, you know, uh, from gospel to the one to show tunes. So many. I, I would have to say the traditional um, uh, stand well back. I'm coming through that we would open our show with our uh, spring concert um, was so much fun. And I had really looked up to some ladies, young ladies who were Washington's at my church in Pipe Love is really kind of one of the reasons I wanted to go to Washita uh, was because of them. So I had been to some of their concerts and, and seen them uh, do that. And we started the show with it and we were in the back, you know, the, the crowd didn't necessarily know it. Um, and it was nothing can stop me now was the name of it. And we came down the aisles, Stand well back, we're coming through. And probably every Washington to this day could do the entire song and all the choreography, I think. So we came down the aisles and we sang it to the audience and then we came up on the stage and finished it. And that was our uh, kind of, not our showstopper, but our show beginner. And I think that is still my favorite. I love that. Yeah, a lot of good memories with Miss Shambarger. You know, even when I was a student and she was helping with Festival of Christmas, she would have a big... Cheshire cat that she'd hold up to remind us to smile. That's right. Smile, smile, sparkle, sparkle girls. And this wasn't for you, but for all the ladies, always have your ruby red lips on. You had to have your ruby red lips. And to this day, I love a red lip. <laughs> <laughs> and if we come back and do some reunions like we have, if you look around the room, most, most of the girls will have a ruby red lip on uh, for Miss Shambarger and smile, sparkle, not just with your, your smile, sparkle with your eyes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Hey, is there a favorite memory? Like something that stands out is that was my, my favorite moment on campus or as a student. Oh, wow. So again, so many, so many. I mean, you know, the we did the Washington's um, auditions and it was just like in the movies where they would put the piece of paper up in the morning, early morning hours, you know, uh, and you go and look and see if your name was on there. And that was, uh, that was kind of neat to go, yes, you know, I made it. So that was neat. I'd have to say, though, really my very first week there, and I don't know if they still do this as a freshman, um, they had a freshman talent show. Is that still done? I think they do with um, Campus Ministries or BSU used to host it, I think. Yes. So, I mean, we had only been there like a day or two and freshman talent show. And I said, you bet. I'm going to go do this. And I I was an okay singer. I like barely made Washington's, but I did a lot of dance growing up. I uh, had taken dance and taken tap. And I said, I'm going to go up there and tap dance. Well, back then 
you didn't dance much at Washita. We did a little choreography uh, for Washitones and other groups, but I don't know if uh, younger alumni members know know about functions. Do people still know what a function is and functioning? Probably not current students, you know, but yeah, I mean, that was definitely still a thing when I was a student, the foot function. Right. So if a uh, one of the social clubs wanted to hold a dance, it first of all had to be off campus. And if you wanted to put up a flyer that said, you know, hey, Rosig or, you know, the betas are having a dance, you had to advertise it as a function. It was a Rosig function. It was a Kaidel function. So it became known that function meant dance. So when they introduced me on the stage of the freshman talent show, they uh, introduced me and said, is here to tap function for us. And the whole crowd just laughed because they, you know, knew the joke. And she's here to tap function to Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. So I went up there and tap functioned my heart out. (laughs) And to this day, I like to say I was one of the trailblazers that brought dance of some form uh, to Washita. And now I go and I see just the fabulous dancing that happens at at all of the shows. And, uh, And it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I remember, you know, being on the campus activities board or it was self, I think, when you were a student and uh, went to Dr. Westmoreland and said, we want to have a Christian ska band. But, you know, people tend to dance. You know, will, will that be allowed? And he said, if you don't put out a chair and someone breaks into dancing, there's not much we can do. <laughs> oh, OK. So there weren't any chairs. <laughs> no I love that. Yeah, we did it on the steps of Lyle, I think, out towards, you know, there used to be not the built the business building there. And it was during, uh, wow, during orientation. It was probably the hottest day of my life, but, you know, had a dance outside. Yeah, yeah. If people start moving, I can't stop it. What I don't, you know, what I don't know, what I didn't see didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I know that uh, your faith has played an important role in your life, and um, I think you've been on a trip recently to Israel, correct? Yes, I have. I went to the Holy Land. In fact, a year ago now, I was just kind of back from it. I went in uh, April of last year. Wow. Uh, Have you been? I haven't been. Yeah, I really would love to get, you know, Dr. Hayes or Duvall to lead a trip for alums because I've never been and really, really want to go. That would be great. I, I saw uh, Dean Dixon uh, not long ago, and he said he has hosted like 11 or 12 trips. So, yeah, I'm sure that you guys could could get a trip together. I'd never really thought about it, um, you know, growing up. I knew my pastors in Pine Bluff uh, would talk about their visits to the Holy Land. Uh, but the church that uh, Mark and I joined a few years ago when we joined a Sunday school class there, they were just starting uh, to talk about a trip in 2019. And something the Lord just said to me, you need to go on that trip. You need you need to go come to the Holy Land. And I have not been that big of a world traveler. I mean, I think I've been on a cruise that stopped me in Mexico and Puerto Rico, and that was about it. So I actually had to go get my passport renewed and everything. Uh, But I just knew this was a once in a lifetime trip that I had to make. So, so I did. Now I had to, you know, talk to the weather guys, my team and the bosses. And I said, Hey, I need two solid weeks off for this. You know, I said, but what I would like to do uh, is, even though this is my own personal trip, my own on my own dime, uh, I would like to, um, you know, bring some of this back for the viewers uh, in whatever way I can, whether it's videos or a blog or or what have you. And they said that would be a great idea. 
So I did that. I, I did videos of me talking uh, just about where I was in different places. I did one on the Sea of Galilee. I did one uh, at the temple, at the ruins of the temple. I mean, it gives me goosebumps to this day to think about it, uh, where I talked about where we were and why it was important. And they played those on our show. And we had such a good response to that. Number one, people who didn't know that you could go there. You know, they had never, they, they weren't in a, a group where they knew, hey, people go to the Holy Land. And, and I had people asking me, why, why are you going there? They thought it was what you see on the news. It was dangerous and rockets are flying around. Um, are you going on a mission trip? Is this to help people? I'm like, no, this is, they want you there. This is um, a pilgrimage. You know, we call it more than a vacation. So I had a lot of people um, contact me and say, number one, I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus on the news. So I love that, you know, that I was talking about, he walked right here, right here. Um, and then number two, a lot of people who said, I'll never be able to go, you know, my health, the finances, I'll never be able to go. But through you, I was able to see it, you know, or others who said, I do want to go now and I'm going to go after seeing that. So I love that that got such a good response. Um, I also did a blog where I talked about preparing for it, what to buy, what to take, <laughs> what kind of hair dryer <laughs> will work in Israel. So I did a lot of that. And then I kind of went through day by day and did um, a step by step visit you know, where you just walked with me and I showed you every place we went and why it was important and where it was in the Bible. And I had just great response. And that's still on my blog. It's still up if anybody wants to go see it uh, at melindamayo.com. I was able to get that. So that's where it is. Awesome. Yeah. You know, Candace shared that she had, you know, candacepain.com and let it go, you know, right before her viral video moment. So <laughs> I heard that she said like four Four months before she let it go, not thinking she would ever need it. And then four months later, she's the biggest thing on social media. Right. Yeah. Was there a favorite <laughs> moment on your trip? You know, one one stop that, that yeah. stands out to you as like an amazing experience for you? That, again, is like choosing your favorite kid. You know, you just can't hardly do it. But I would have to say... Um, I mean, the Church of the Nativity is beautiful, uh, you know, that you get a chance to um, touch where most scholars think, you know, Jesus was born, the Church uh, of the Holy Sepulchre, you know, which is on Calvary. Um, but scholars debate that, you know, was this really it? Was, was this really the tomb? What is not debatable is the temple because it was so huge. And so there's, there's no debate. This was the temple. Now, what they're having to do is excavate down because the city has been built on top of ruins, on top of ruins. So Jerusalem is in layers. So you have to kind of think about that. But they have excavated down um, to the main entrance of the second temple, which was the one there during Jesus's time and the steps leading up to the temple. And so they say, if you were to go there and say, take me somewhere where without a doubt, Jesus would have walked, it's those steps mm -hmm. because he would have gone to the temple so many times with his family as a young boy. Of course, we know he went there to turn over the tables of the money changers and to, to teach. So he would have walked those steps. You know, there's no doubt about it. So being there and they call them the teaching steps um, and just sitting there and knowing he walked right here. I think that was the biggest moment for me. I love that. Now you mentioned uh, 
listening to Candace's podcast and talking about her viral video, I hear that you have one of your own. <laughs> it did not Chewbacca mom status. Let me tell you that right, right off the bat. It didn't get into the millions and millions, but I think I did score at least a million viewers. And of all things, it was a fountain that flowed white cream gravy was my <laughs> viral moment. All right. Let me, let me quickly tell you the story. Uh, we had two friends who were getting married about four years ago, I think it was now. And it was second marriage for both of them. So they wanted to have something kind of small. And he was a crop duster in Pine Bluff. She was a teacher. And they said, you know, what if we have it at the airport? It had a nice lobby area. You know, it had a, a restaurant there for workers and for uh, people who were coming in and out of the airport. They said, let's do that. The kids can watch planes, you know, take off and land. So they had it out at Grider Field, which is the airport in Pine Bluff. And um, they had it, it was kind of a morning thing. I think it was 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So they said, let's kind of do brunch. Let's kind of have a little brunch buffet. So one of the girls helping her set it up had seen on Pinterest or something a fountain, which just one of those little fountains that people will set up, usually with chocolate. And someone on Pinterest had put gravy in it for biscuits and gravy. And she said, Lisa, we could do this for your wedding. So they did. They had a white gravy flowing <laughs> fountain for the buffet. And when we got there, my husband said, come here, come here, come here. Take a picture of this because I've got to show it to my cardiologist. And I said, let me take a video. So I took a video of the white cream gravy fountain and posted it and just said, this is how we wedding in South Arkansas. You know, congratulations to Lisa and Rocky. Well, when I got home, it was sort of like, like Candace. When I got home, I looked and I was like, oh, this is kind of turning into a thing. I, it's being shared, or, you know, quite a few times. That night before I went to bed, I'm like, this is really turning into a thing. It wasn't even my wedding. I just took the video. The next morning, it had over a million views. And it had so many responses from people saying, people who didn't know about white cream gravy, first of all. Uh, in the South, why is it white? And that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. It had people from England saying biscuits are cookies because biscuits over there, why would you put gravy on a cookie? So it was, it was crazy. I was on um, the uh, Marty and McGee show on, on ESPN because they do a cornbread versus biscuit thing uh, on their show. So they contacted me. I was on there. Several magazines, I think Garden and Gun magazine, which is really, you know, big time. They interviewed me. I had to call Lisa, the bride, and say, hey, is this okay with you? And can they call you as well? And she's like, sure, let's have fun with it. So that was my viral moment after all these years of TV and, and trying to do inspirational stories when I can, that I'll be known as, you know, the white gravy fountain queen. <laughs> but that's okay. Take it. I love it. You know, I feel sorry for people who don't know what white cream gravy and biscuits are. Yes. Now, I think you could do it with brown gravy, if that's your thing. Choc chocolate gravy. You could do that. We did have to experiment with the sausage bits because, you know, sausage is what makes that gravy. And we had to, uh, I think, make sure those were really fine or leave them out. So because that would clog up the fountain. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we taught a lot of people about, you know, a different kind of gravy they didn't know about. That's fun. Is there anything else you'd like to say to uh, listeners out there today to the podcast? 
Oh, I just want to thank you, John, for, you know, for doing this. Thank you for keeping the alumni informed. I'm a former student. I'm not technically a, a graduate. I moved to Little Rock between my junior and senior year. Uh, so I ended up wrapping up my senior year at UALR. Uh, but I've always said you, you don't leave Washita and Washita never leaves you. So, you know, my three years there, my heart is at Washita. I still do a lot with UALR too, but um, you know, whenever they come into the studio to do something on the Trojans or something, they go, now you did graduate from ULR. You remember that, right? And I was like, look, we can vote, we can, we can live happily together. Uh, and it really, I tell you what, everything tra transitioned and transferred so well from Washita. They so respected the school. And, um, so they were like, yeah, come on, you know, if you've made these grades at Washita, we would love to have you. So it was a great transition. Uh, but as a former student, thank you for including us in, in everything that you do. You know, I want to come back and visit as much as I can. And also the Washington Student Foundation. I was the recipient of several scholarships, you know, a semester at a time. And that money meant everything, you know, to help me pay, uh, pay for the tuition. And if I hadn't had that, I don't know that I would have been able to come to Washington. So thank you for all of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, at freshman orientation, the president deems everyone a Washingtonian. And so, you know, there's lots of paths for people and you know, people that go into sometimes medical professions end up being a former student here and going on to nursing school or med school. So, you know, if you feel at home here and this was your home, you're a Washingtonian and we're, we're definitely proud of all you've accomplished and done and love that you share your faith and your light so well in your role. So uh, we want to thank you too for the way that you represent Christ and Washita uh, out there to the world. Well, thank you, John. I hope to come back real soon. Um, I visited the new TV studio that wasn't there uh, back when I was there. Uh, the TV program was in its infancy, for sure, when I came through. Uh, so I want to come back and, and visit all the students there and uh, see all the new things going on at Washington. There's something new every single semester. It's true. Yeah, they're building a, you know, a giant pediatrics plus, you know, right around from my office here. And, and it's exciting to see all of the new uh, master's programs and things happening. So it's definitely good things. We'll have to get you down here to do a, a live remote from the TV studio or something. I would love that. I would love that. We've done the Battle of the Ravine several times. It's where I got the sweatshirt. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but that's why I've got my uh, sweatshirt on today from uh, our Battle of the Ravine broadcast that we've done down there. That's That's been a lot of fun too. So uh, Washita Tiger for Life. Awesome. I love it. Hey, thank you so much for joining us and uh, just appreciate all you do so much. So thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for Life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.